This episode is for evolution. So taxonomy is the pattern of relatedness. Um, and this goes by domain, kingdom, phylum, class, and order. A good way to remember this is dear King Philip came over for good soup and each letter correlates with everything. And Darwin believed in descent with modification, which means um, species acquired modifications or adaptations. Um, hierarchy is biological taxa and gradual change in population over time to those best suited is what that means. The population is a group of same species living together. They could be geographically isolated, but like mixed for some reproduction. A gene pool is the genes available to the populations. And it's important to remember that populations evolve, not individuals. So Hardy Weinberg states that the genetic structure of a population will stay the same unless acted upon by outside factors, and genetic recombination won't change the allele frequencies. So the two equations that are important to know is P plus Q equals 1, and P squared plus 2PQ plus Q squared equals 1. So P is the frequency of one allele, like the dominant allele, and Q is the frequency of the other allele, the recessive one. So just to note that P and Q in the first equation are for the allele frequency, and the P squared and Q squared are for the homozygous dominant and recessive frequencies. So the uses of the Hardy-Weinberg is to use the equation to calculate what frequencies um, are expected in the next generation and to see if genetic structure is changing and if the population is evolving. And there's genetic drift, which is changes due to chance, which are random. So large populace, populations closely reflect a uh, frequency of the past and smaller populations tend to change by chance. Things that would increase genetic drift are the bottleneck effect where disasters kill off a bunch of um, individuals in the population and the remaining population isn't representative of the previous traits. There's also the founder effect where, for example, for uh, a small group colonizes an island and there's gene flow, which is genetic exchange from one population with another. It can be due to things like migration, wind, etc. There's also mutation, which is change in one allele to another. It must be in the gamete for this. Uh, it can be infrequent. It doesn't like change the population much and it provides variation for selection. There's also non-random mating, which is inbreeding, self-fertilization, only mating to others in close proximity or mating on selective characteristics. It usually increases uh, homozygosity. And um, an example of this is peacocks where they only mate with the pretty males. Natural selection is um, the only adaptive mechanism out of the five evolution factors and it assumes all genotypes have the same ability to survive and reproduce, which is false. And it's a major factor in controlling evolution. So some evidence of evolution is artificial selection, insecticide treatment of bugs, antibiotic resistant bacteria, finches, like the different beak sizes, and the peppered moths, the gray and brown. So here's some more definitions to know is taxonomy is similar in structure, Biogeography is where organisms live near one another, and so that makes them more like each other. So they came from an, a common ancestor. With fossil records, relatedness matches the age of fossils, so you shouldn't be finding different vertebrate classes in the same age rock. Comparative analogy is homologous structures 
relatedness versus individual engineering, and it shows the evolutionary relationship and is used for classification. Vestigial organs are basically leftovers and they have no use in the current time. Comparative embryology is where vertebrates go through the same early stages, thus they can be compared. Biochemistry or molecular biology, um, in terms of that, the same DNA is in all the organisms and it's modified copies of each other, which make different proteins. So you can compare using cytochrome C, amino acids, DNA codes, and the number of proteins. So homologous structures show evolutionary relationships and should be used for classification. Analogous structures do not show evolutionary relationships and they should not be used for classification. Okay, so now on to variation. So first of all, for mutations, uh, the mutation and recombination, they must be at the root and they must be heritable. Uh, they won't make a difference if slash because of the redundancy of genetic code, the mutations in non-coding regions, if the mutated genes are not expressed, the mutations aren't in the germ cells and the changes aren't adaptive. Selective pressure is the ability to get prey slash evade predators, as well as competition, abiotic factors like wind, soil, sunlight, and temperature, as well as sex selection. And there are types of natural selection types, which are stabilizing selection, which selects against extremes, so you want something in the middle. Directional selection, which um, is based off of environmental changes and migrations. It shifts to new phenotypes every once in a while. There's diversifying selection, which selects for both extremes, but not the middle. And um, di diploidy hides variation from selections because heterozygous individuals keep recessive alleles in the population, even though they don't display those traits. Balanced polymorphism is when two variations may work best against the heterozygote advantage, and it leads to diversity in selecting pressures. There's also the neutral effect as well as continued mutation, which is when the same mutation may keep arising in the populations. There's also a gene flow, which means it may not be deleterious in a nearby population, like sickle cell, like the sickle cell allele. It also, the population may not have to, had time to remove the allele, like it's selected against, but it's still not gone. Okay, speciation. So a species, they can interbreed and produce fertile offspring. A species is physically and biochemically distinct. Anagenesis is where a species transforms into another. And cladogenesis is where an ancestor produces one or more different variations. And this increases the number of species. So why do species remain distinct? So there are prezygotic and postzygotic factors. So prezygotic is the habitat isolation, so environmental barriers, behavioral isolation, which is mating rituals, temporal isolation, reproductive, mechanical isolation, so they can't, you know, if they can't physically mate, um, and gametic isolation is when the gametes can't match up. Postzygotic would be poor hybrid viability, so that means the embryos die, hybrid fertility, where you know, they can't reproduce and hybrid breakdown. So that means a weak second generation. So where's the origin of a new species? So it means that, you know, they're separated and acted differently uh, on by natural selection. 
So there's allopatric speciation, which is geographical isolation. So that would be by, they were separated by a physical barrier. So an example would be different islands and new mountains. Sympatric speciation is reproductive isolation. So they reproductively isolated, but they still live with the parent population. So an example is reproduce with other polyploid plants. Animals eat different food sources and they don't mate with others eating a different food source. So why evolution? Why does evolution take place after being separated? Um, usually different on edge, founder effect, genetic drift, neutral mutation, different selective pressures. Overall, microevolution slowly changes each population. So adaptive divergence and adaptive peaks. So several forms that are optimal. So could a species come back together? So it could interbreed or mix, it could stay separate, or it could do something called the hybrid zone, where one specific area has hybrids of the two species. Macroevolution is substantial, substantial change in organisms, and it's the origin of taxonomic groups higher than origin. Punctured equilibrium is big changes followed by slow gradual change, and it's due to quick geographic separation or genetic drift. It results in sudden genome changes. Fossils are made through petrification, and then minerals replace the organic parts, and then they turn into stone. It could leave a mold imprint, it could be footprints, or just leave hints of the animal's behavior. The imprint is hardened by minerals, and the entire organism could be preserved through this process. Most organisms that lasted a long time were abundant or had hard shells, which uh, would make them petrify better. So for carbon dating or dating fossils, the oldest is on the bottom and the further down the strata, the older they are. And for radiometric dating, you use the half-life, which means uh, the amount of time it'll take for half of it to decay. Uh, there is a known ratio of uh, carbon-14 and carbon-12 in living things, and you can use that to measure how much relative carbon-14 and uh, carbon-12 there are now. Uh, lastly, we're going on to developmental genes, so heterochrony, which is changes in developmental timing or rate, and homeosis is the alteration in placement of body parts. Species selection, we know, is that the strongest survive. Mass extinction, so it leave it open for species, um, adaptive radiation, and accumulation of microevolution, so that's not preserved in fossil record or um, intermediates not found due to the small numbers.